Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Samuel 23. If you're visiting us this morning, I can assure you that uh, if I were a topical preacher, this would not be a text I would have chosen on my own. So uh, you will, it might be helpful to know you're joining us at the tail end of our series through 2 Samuel. We have one more week next week, and then we will begin a new book together. This morning, we're going to be looking at David's mighty men. And uh, it shows us that the times David lived in were not so different from ours. We live in a world today that loves heroes. Heroes in the news. How many of us read some heartwarming story about how some average Joe did some great act of heroism in his community this past week? Or we love heroes in politics. Whenever someone, you know, comes from a poor family and rises to prominence to serve their community. We love heroes in the armed forces. I'm sure you've seen the photo that's gone around of uh, Officer Eugene Goodman alone in the Capitol building holding off a mob with his hand. We love those kinds of things. We have heroes in sports. This past year, the NFL saw the return of Alex Smith from a two-year rehabilitation process where the shattering of his leg almost cost him his life. These days in the movies, it seems like every single movie that comes out is about superheroes. Marvel, since uh, in the past 13 years, has produced 23 superhero movies and has 14 more on their way. In fact, their movie Avengers Endgame was the highest grossing film of all time. It's fair to say we're people who love our heroes. Why are heroes important? Heroes are certainly inspirational, but I think for a culture, heroes are aspirational. The heroes we put up on the big screen, the ones we vote into office, the ones we share on social media, the ones we root for on the football field, all represent the kind of person that we hope to be. What kind of heroes are appropriate then for the people of God? What sort of people, what sort of actions should we put up on a pedestal among the people of God and say, we want to be like this? Well, we have 37 of them before us this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 23. So if you found our passage Together. Why don't we stand as we honor these heroes and we honor the reading of God's word together. We're going to begin in verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshua Bashebeth, a Takahemonite. He was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines, who were 
gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me a water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he wouldn't drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their own lives? Therefore he did not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name besides the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaiah went down to him with a staff. And he snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name besides the three mighty men. He was not renowned among the thirty. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shammah of Herod, Elika of Herod, Helez the Paltite, Ira the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abiezer of Anathoth, Mebunai the Heshuthite, Zalman the Ahoahite, Maharai of Netophath, Helev the son of Baana of Netophath, Ittai the son of Rabbi of Gibeah of the people of Benjamin, Beniah of Pirathon, Hidai of the brooks of Gaash, Abi Alban the Arbathite, Azmaveth of Bahurim, Eliabah the Shaalbonite, the sons of Joshin, Jonathan, Shammah the Harite, Ahiam the son of Sharar the Hararite, Eliphileth the son of Asbai of Maaka, Eliam the son of Ahithophel of Gilo, Hezro of Carmel, Paari the Arbite, Igal the son of Nathan of Zobah, Bani the Gadite, Zelek the Ammonite, Naharai of Beiroth, the armor-bearer of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, Ira the Ithrite, Gareb the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, 37 in all. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Sometimes I think that God just puts passages in the Bible as a, a sort of test, you know, how good of a reader is your pastor? 
Here's some tongue twisters for you. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> 37 heroes this morning. Men who faithfully served their King David, furthered the efforts of his kingdom, thwarted his enemies, won great battles, accomplished mighty feats, and did praiseworthy deeds. As we survey these men, as we said, 37 of them in all, God intends for these heroes not only to be inspirational, but as we've said, aspirational. These, O people of God, are your heroes. You should seek to be like them. Number one, this passage encourages us, fight with courage, with endurance, and steadfastness. Fight with courage, endurance, and steadfastness. In order to be a superhero, one must have a superpower. That is unless you're Batman, but we'll talk about that later. Well, what are the superpowers, so to speak, of these heroes? The first hero is one who demonstrates amazing courage. Verse 8. These are the men of the mighty, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Here's the first one. Jasheb Bashebeth, a Takamonite. He was chief of the three. What was he famous for? He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. We are told that this man, Jasheb, had superhuman strength. All we're told is that he was willing to face down 800 enemies at once. Jasheb this morning is a picture of courage. Christian courage has less to do with whether you actually have the strength to conquer 800 enemies at once. It has a lot more to do with whether you just have the guts to face 800 enemies at once. Verse 10. What does it say? Who's the one winning these battles anyways? The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Or verse 12, the Lord worked a great victory. So the Lord is the one accomplishing these mighty acts of victory, these great salvations, not Joshib, and certainly not us. Think for a moment, though. 800 against one. Those are pretty good odds, biblically speaking. Judges 15, Samson was one against 1,000. And he didn't have a spear in hand. He had a jawbone. Or in the next chapter, Samson was one against 3,000, and he was blinded and chained. Or Judges 7, Gideon and his men, 300 against 120,000 Midianites. Or 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah armed with nothing but a prayer, one against 185,000 Assyrians. See, the only way to cultivate courage is to be courageous. You just have to step into the battlefield. Courage 
faces 100 enemies at once and says, I don't know if I will win. In fact, I think I might lose, but I'm going to fight anyways. Courage is the sound of three young Hebrews saying, our God is certainly able to, de to deliver us from this fiery furnace, but even if he does not, we will never bow down to your golden image. Courage is Peter and John standing chained before the very priests who executed their Lord and Savior Jesus and saying, you can kill us too, but nothing's going to stop us from telling others what we've seen and heard. Courage isn't knowing you're going to win. Courage is trusting God with the result and being willing to fight. I don't know this morning what the 800 enemies were that you woke up to. But what is heroic is not whether you slay 800 or whether you are slain by them, but did you have the courage to face them? Michael Scott once quoted Wayne Gretzky as saying, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's kind of what's going on here this morning. That's, that's a picture of courage. There's going to be no great victories in your life unless you're willing to step into the battle. Fight with courage and let the Lord win the battle. Our second hero shows us we not only need to fight with courage, but we've also got to fight with endurance. Verse 9. The next guy. Next to him among the three was a man named Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ahohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. He grew so weary of winning and defeating the enemy that his hand began to cramp for having clung to the sword for so long. Not quitting, unwilling to run, not willing to retreat, staring down what looks like certain defeat and still not willing to drop the sword. He fought all the way to the finish. And the Bible says the Lord gave him the victory. Endurance is the superpower that nobody wants. Because the only way to get endurance is to experience pain. We have Eleazar here, and he's, you know, his hand has become, become a club from, from how long he's been clinging to his sword, but he continues to grip it. Paul tells us the formula for cultivating this superpower. Suffering produces endurance. The only way to develop endurance is to experience suffering and then not to quit and to continue to experience that suffering. Many of us do not realize what we are capable of in Christ Jesus because we have never been willing to push through that initial pain. We feel it. And our body says, this hurts. Stop. Brothers and sisters, we have to stop listening to the flesh. When things start to hurt, the flesh says, go home, watch Netflix, you'll be fine. 
We need to start listening to the spirit that says, come on. Just a little pain you can push through. I know it hurts. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Fight through the pain. Endure. Don't quit now. I did one stint as a fitness instructor in college. I had one client. Her name was Mindy. <laughs> we were dating at the time. Obviously, we got over this rough patch in our, in our relationship because here we are with all these children. So this story ends somewhat happily. But uh, I got it in my mind that the good thing to do in the dead of, of uh, northwestern Pennsylvania winter was for us to get up at 6.30 before class and to go run around on the ice-cold indoor track uh, and run a mile three times together, three days a week. And I, I can't remember now why Mindy agreed. Um, but we started out just running 10 minutes, one mile, 10 minutes, every day. Well, three days a week. And Mindy hated every minute of it. And she hated me for every minute of, of that run, every time. And I'm trying to be encouraging and, you know, you're doing so great. This is going to feel so good when you're done. Just keep going. Three more laps. And I could see the love in her eyes that said, I'm going to kill you whenever I catch up. I kid you not, though, after two months of training, Mindy went from running a 10-minute mile to running an 8-minute, 15-second mile. That's really good. Eliezer reminds us that just because something is hard or even painful, that is not a reason to quit. It's a chance to endure. Fight with courage. Fight with endurance. But thirdly, our third hero shows us we've also got to fight with steadfastness. Our third hero takes his stand in, of all places, a lentil field in verse 11. Next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite, the Philistines, gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. You see this man, Shammah, he's a man on fire. They took the cornfields, and we did nothing. Then they took our barley fields, and we said nothing. We even let them have our apple orchards, but this is the last straw. They will not have our beans. It takes steadfastness to stand in the bean field all alone. Farewell, brothers. If you find my corpse, come morning, bury me among my beloved lentils. I wonder what that is for you. What is it in your life where you're willing to say, this is where I draw the line. Here's where I'm taking my stand. This is what I'm passionate about. And I wonder if it is not the church of Jesus Christ. Why is that? People these days seem to be willing to take their stand in some very strange bean fields. But very few want to take a stand for the kingdom. 
Paul writes to the Corinthians, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Shama is a picture of the man Paul describes in Ephesians 6. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done everything, stand. You think about it. Churches are a lot like lentils. Did you know that when you plant lentils, they actually improve the soil? Kind of like church. Lentils are extremely cheap. Kind of like churches. And if you try to rush things and you don't give lentils enough time to stew, they will give you bad gastric distress. Lentils and churches, you know, pretty similar. Brothers and sisters, there is something deeply heroic about taking your stand in the local church. Fighting with steadfastness. Staying at the same church for 20, 30, 40 years. These days, those sorts of people are often seen as the problem in a lot of churches problem is with us. We should be seeing them as the heroes. Without people willing to stand, willing to be steadfast in the bean field, while other members come and go, churches wouldn't last longer than five years. The thing about steadfastness is that you can only learn to be steadfast by standing still. By staying when it's hard, when it's tough, when it's uncomfortable, when it's too small, when it's too big, when it's not how you would do it, whatever. I like to give my father-in-law a hard time. The thing is, though, that man has been a member of First Baptist Church in Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, since the day he was baptized, almost 60 years. That's heroic. That is steadfastness. If no one is willing to stand in the lentil fields, pretty soon we'll find there aren't any lentil fields left. Fight, brothers and sisters, with the Christian superpowers. Courage, endurance, and steadfastness. As our eyes move down this table of heroes, we recognize in the next story, that this same loyalty is burning in the hearts of all 37 of these men. The same undying passion is residing deep in their belly. These men fight for their king and their king alone. And so this is our second aspiration this morning. Not only do we fight with courage, endurance, and steadfastness, we need to fight, fight for your king. Verse 13. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold in the garrison of the Philistines there encamped in his hometown of Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. 
Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he wouldn't drink it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at risk of their own lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. David is just muttering out loud, Man, wouldn't it be nice to have some of that good old hometown Bethlehem well water? Kind of a weird thing, but you know, we have attachments to our hometowns. He says this aloud. And three men, at risk of life and limb, break through the Philistine camp just to draw one cup of water and run it back to their king. And the world looks on and says, how foolish do you have to be? Seriously, all that? For this? But it's what my king wants. And I want to fight for my king because he's, he's my king. This is what he wants. That's what I want to do. I am willing to sacrifice everything. Spill my very blood for a cup of water if that's what my Christ wants for me. Paul was this kind of soldier. He writes to the Philippians, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. And you know what I consider? It all rubbish. Because all I want is my king. Brothers and sisters, only one thing can inspire this kind of loyalty. We fight for our king because our king fought for us. We're willing to lay down our lives for him because he laid down his life for us. Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. This is a call, brothers and sisters, to fight for the one who fought for you. Jesus left his throne in heaven. He came to this world in the form of a servant, in human form. He served mankind. He taught us. He fed us. He healed us. And at the end of his road, he allowed us to condemn him, to whip, to mock, and then to slaughter him on a cross. And the world looks at him and says, how foolish, seriously, you risked all of this, Jesus, for that? And on the day he came out of the grave, the king says, you don't understand. Those are my people. Maybe all of your battles feel aimless and your efforts feel wasted because you don't know who you're fighting for. Either you're fighting for the king or you're fighting against him. This morning, our passage calls you to repent. Join forces with the king who gave his life so that you could be his. Fight for your king. Finally, we arrive at our last point. So our heroes this morning, they encourage us to aspire to fight with courage, endurance, steadfastness. They remind us the battle that we are all in is one where we're fighting for our king. 
Third and finally, number three, fight your battles. What do I mean? Look at Abishai in verse 18. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief of the thirty, and he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name besides the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. Abishai reminds us, fight your battles and not someone else's. So your battle is against 300 and the other guy got to fight against 800. So what? You aren't one of the top three. So what? Your victories are smaller than other people's. They are all the Lord's victories. And you've been given whatever battles you have in your life, however big, however small, they're for you to fight. Comparison is the thief of joy. Imagine Abishai having just come off the battlefield. Man, he's feeling good. He just slaughtered 300 men with one spear. King David comes up to him and says, that other guy did 800. That's not how it works. Our king comes to us and he says, whatever battlefield we emerge out of, well done, good and faithful servant. To the one who fought 800 and to the one who fought 300, well done, good and faithful servant. And to the one who only fought three, well done, good and faithful servant. Habashai reminds us, you are meant to fight your battles, not someone else's. In verse 20, we have a hero named Benaiah, and he reminds us, you are made to fight your battles. We are suited for specific skirmishes. We're fitted for special times and places and enemies, and God has given you a specific set of skills and experiences and talents to fight those battles. Benaiah, he's this... Scrappy guy, you know, defeats a lion in a snowy pit. He's resourceful, realizes that his staff is not going to defeat the Egyptian spear, so steals the Egyptian spear, kills him with it. We have to trust that God has prepared us in advance to fight our battles. But God, I don't know how to win this one. I don't know the answer. I feel outmatched. God says, well, look at Benaiah. The guy didn't even have the weapon for the fight until his enemy showed up. The Egyptian was carrying the weapon that he needed to kill the Egyptian with. You were made. You have been prepared for the battle that God is going to bring you to fight your battles. Finally, the remaining 30 heroes whom I will not try to read again remind us we need to fight you need to fight your battles regardless of the recognition these 30 names honestly they remind us of us most of us won't have our victories immortalized in the pages of scripture in fact we won't even have our names recorded Anywhere. There will be no recognition. When we read in the New Testament, this is honestly one of the biggest problems the Pharisees have. They weren't content to be one of the 30. 
They always wanted to be one of the three. They wanted the awards, the praise, the fame. They wanted people to know exactly what they had done and accomplished and what mighty deeds. Brothers and sisters, we look at this long list of names that we can hardly pronounce and we have no idea what battles they fought, what victories they won. But guess who does? God does. I wonder, brothers and sisters, is that enough? Can you fight your battles trusting no one else may see? But God does. Are you content to let your good works go completely unnoticed by the rest of the world? Here's how you can tell. Do you feel yourself getting weary of doing the right thing over and over again? Giving your best, going the extra mile, and you've come to this place where you say, I just can't do it anymore. Well, what changed? Well, I'm just tired of being underappreciated. Ah, there it is. Are you willing to fight your battles in utter obscurity? Die and be forgotten. Are we content to do our good deeds in secret, trusting that Jesus is actually telling the truth, that your Father, who sees everything you do in secret, will one day reward you? It's easy to fight when you get the recognition, when you win the awards, when you're asked to do interviews and they want to feature you on a podcast or on the news, etc., etc. How long can you fight when the only one, and I mean the only one, who sees you fighting is your Heavenly Father? Do you believe that God has a hero list in heaven where your name and everything that you have accomplished is written there? Brothers and sisters, may we take heart. Fight your battles. On the day of judgment, the books will be open and your name with all of the heroic deeds that the Lord accomplished through you will be read off before the whole universe. These are the king's heroes, men who fought with courage, endurance, and steadfastness, men who fought for their king, men who fought their own battles, 37 in all, 37 heroes. So often we get in our mind, oh, for a church to do anything real great, you got to have at least 100, 1,000. This morning it says, mm -mm, 37, 37 will get it done. 37 guys with weird names. You know how many we had last Sunday? 38. Let's pray. God, give us courage. We know how weak we are. We know that if you do not act, we will be slaughtered. Please, we pray. Give us faith to trust in our King and to fight the battles you have set before us this next week. In Jesus' name, amen.